now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Bugs and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From class to cult, so the cheese in between, the movies are beef. The entertainment is grade A. And I'm your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti. I'm joined this time by my brother, my brother, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. Hey, Jay. How's it going? All right, folks. Uh, get on your Alice Cooper records and set your way back machines to November 1957, because we are taking a look at I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. And we'll get to it right after this. When the stitches are out, he'll pass for a normal, quite attractive teenager. I want him to know and feel pain. What I create, I must control. Go on, activate this body. With thistle. Demonic as Professor Frankenstein, who creates out of human parts the most terrifying creature to walk the earth today. I should destroy you as dangerous evidence. Teenage Frankenstein was released November 23, 1957, with a 74-minute running time. Uh, your the budget, I kind of couldn't find any hard numbers on budget, but the box office is said to be around $310,000. Now, you're thinking um, maybe back to when Dad and I covered I Was a Teenage Werewolf, and you're like, didn't that movie make $2 million? It did. Um, so you got to figure the cost of making this is probably close to the cost of making I Was a Teenage Werewolf 
which we knew was between 82 and 100 and I think 20. So figure maybe about like, you know, 80 to $90,000. It's still a great return on investment. If I put $80,000 into something, got $300,000 back, that's pretty good return. The problem is when you put 80,000 and you get 2 million back, you're expecting that kind of return. But uh, this movie, uh, to be very, very honest, and we, we, dad and I spoke about this as well um, because I was a teenage werewolf was such a huge hit five months later. Uh, you know, you got, I was teenage Frankenstein. And then as we, dad and I talked about um, this played on a double bill with blood of Dracula, which uh, you know, we know uh, right. they also... and blood of Dracula is well, that, that one's even, that one's even more of a kind of obscure movie mm-hmm. than, than, than this one is being the, um, the, the, the back half of the, of the double feature. And I've, I don't know that I've ever seen blood, uh, blood of Dracula, to be honest. I've, I've always heard about it as a double feature with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's funny because that one I've, I'm, what I'm reading is that it has, you know, other kind of similar things to the other two movies. So they all kind of go together. So originally you know? they had thought about calling it, I was a teenage vampire Yes. or I was a teenage Dracula, but they couldn't get the rights to Dracula. So I was a teenage vampire, but the problem is, if you, if, if for those of you who have never seen it, just be rare. Here comes some spoilers. It's a, it's a girl instead of a boy, right? You know, kind of thing. It's a, it's a teen, a teenager, quote unquote, um, you know, who happens to be the vampire, but it's a female instead of a male. Um, so, but they thought blood, uh, uh, you know, calling it uh, blood of Dracula made more sense instead of I was a teenage Dracula. Well, I was a teenage, uh, you know, vampire, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Blood of Dracula probably gives it at least a little more credence uh, when you're, you know, trying to put it on a double bill with I was a teenage Frankenstein. Um, yeah. Because... yeah, you don't you don't want to get your titles too similar. Yeah, you don't want to get a uh, I, I eat your skin, I drink your blood sort of situation. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing was, if they had been separate releases, it might have been OK. Um, AIP eventually uh, went on to do I was a teenage caveman, uh, which we know. Um, is it, you know, but that was a year or year and a half year later. Um, and then before yeah. how, how did teenage they caveman? Yeah. Not, not quite to the same level as uh... sure. <laughs> sure. Right. But I'm yeah. saying, but, but it, it brought in the, 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 I was a teenage and, um, the, I was craze was brought in with, I was a, a, a mail order war bride. And like there's movies became before this, even like I married a monster from outer space and things like that. The I was the I, you know, I, I, that kind of stuff yeah. was popular for a time. Um, but uh, the thing is, what it allowed uh, to happen was it allowed people to kind of have um, it, they, they felt that some people connected with the movie better. It was like, well, I was this. And I was like, well, that seems crazy, you know, kind of thing like, or, you know, and we see it pop up every now and then, um, you know, referentially, we saw it more in the, in the some of the 70s into the 80s. Uh, with you know, TV episodes and stuff like that. Not even, um, even, even when we talked about, um, I was a, a middle-aged werewolf, which is the episode season four, episode five, I think of, of a highway to heaven where Michael Landon redons the, uh, the werewolf makeup um, to scare off some uh, hoodlums or teenage, whatever. And uh, you know, actually I was a teenage werewolf is on TV. And the, the, one of the characters says, Hey, that guy kind of looks like you. You know, not when he's all fuzzy, but when he's normal, you know, kind of thing, sure. and, which is so funny. But um, but we see that still even now you'll get episodes of like cartoons and stuff. And it was like I was, uh, you know, a zombie from another dimension or, I, you know, it's, it's very kind of uh, it was it was kind of a very 50s thing, um, right. you know, kind of thing that kind of held on. 
So um, your director is Herbert L. Strzok. Um, Herbert L. Strzok uh, is known as a director. For, he was the, I was, I was Teenage Frankenstein, obviously. He also directed How to Make a Monster, which in 58, which Dad and I will be covering in the new year. And then he went on to, to direct The Crawling Hand, 1963. Right. Um, I know one of your favorites there. Uh, yep, Crawling yeah. Hand, longtime favorite of mine. Yeah, so... Um, you know, not a, not necessarily a super deep career in you know, but again, making B yeah. Yeah, making B movies was a yeah. perfectly legitimate way to make money back then. And the other ones that he now the thing that I thought was funny is that he also did direct Blood of Dracula. Yes. So he he made both ha both halves of that that double bill. The other one, and I've mentioned this, um, I've, I've these have, have I've seen these come up a lot uh, lately the last couple of years for me. He directed all three of. Ivan Tor's OSI movies, The Office of Scientific Investigation. Okay. Which the two that I know of are The Magnetic Monster and Gog. And oh, then the okay. third one is Riders to the Stars. And all three Never of those were in, were in 3D. So um, the, or Gog at least was in 3D. So I, that, those I've always, I know you guys talk about, um, uh, you know, when, when your film has some level of scientific, of plausible science in it, yeah. it tends to hold up a little better. Yeah. Ivan Tours was kind of the same same school of thought. Tours would go on to, he produced a lot of like animal-based TV shows, like he was a producer for Flipper and Gentle Ben. Oh, okay. uh, but he did the science fiction movies earlier in his uh, in his career, he produced them. So he was involved on that side as well. No. All right. So, you know, I mean, Strzok, not, not a particularly, you know, visually interesting director, but, you know, Get light and get away. Get gets gets done what needs to get done. <laughs> uh, okay, so your uh, your writer here is Kenneth uh, Langtree. Uh, he gets credit as that, uh, based on the story by uh, Kenneth Langtree as well. Um, so he gets a writing credit, and it's based on his story. Your producer is Herman Cohen. Now Herman Cohen, we know we recognize that name because we heard that when we talked about uh, Teenage Werewolf, um, and of course. Samuel Z. Arkoff and uh, James Nicholson. Now, we talked about James Nicholson before. He was the uh, him and Arkoff were also the executive producer or the producers on executive producer, excuse me, on Werewolf. Um, it's AIP Pictures. So it's where Arkoff and Nicholson, their names are synonymous with AIP, um, especially Arkoff, um, who has become Nicholson. Again, if you know your stuff, you know Nicholson's name. Arkoff has become he, he's become much more famous as the Samuel Z. Arkoff kind of thing. His name always went out in front kind of thing. So, um, yes. yeah. Interesting then, thing about Arkoff that uh, I just want to mention is that, you know, you know, when you're, when you're a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail, right? So I always think as, of Arkoff when it comes to the monster movies, right? The, mm -hmm. uh, the AIP monsters. But what's interesting is that in his work with AIP, uh, Arkoff generally is, gets credit for, creating the beach party movie yes and is also considered one of like the grandfathers of like the biker outlaw biker movie yeah so it's like it, it's not it, genre movies are genre movies right if they're if they're mildly exploitative and play to teenagers there's a good chance that that aip probably had something to do with them right yeah well that's part of the thing though with arkoff is his name is it, uh, again a lot of times we, it's it's famous because of the the monster movies but um you know if you watch enough Mr. Shines 33,000, his name pops up a lot of places, uh, yeah. you know, kind of things. And um, especially if you're into those kind of movies, um, the, the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, I, I, I don't want to say the kind of, 
like the the teen angst movies, you know, kind of thing, like where you have yeah. the bike gangs, and then you have like the opposite of that, which is the teen party movies. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. I think he what he realized, and this is one of the things you notice when you look at like teenage werewolf. Um, he knew that even putting the the word teenager, teenage right. in the title was going to draw in kids. Um, and he knew where his money was being made. Uh, you know, I don't think at any point uh, AIP anyone at AIP thought they were making the next citizen Kane. I think they understood they were making movies that were designed to be consumed, uh, you know, on a date or at a drive in or whatever, you know, kind of thing and make money. And then, you know, a couple months later, another one would come out um, that they had a runaway hit with uh, uh, I was teenage werewolf was, I don't want to say rare, but I mean, but you know, a movie making t- uh, $2 million on an, on, you know, on a $80,000 budget in 1957 was not common for yeah. smaller studios. That was not common yeah. for small studios. So that's, that's what you hope for. It's not what you. Oh yeah. For. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, your distribution, of course, as we said, is AIP in uh, the UK, it's Anglo amalgam- amalgamated um, Anglo amalgamated um, did a lot of distribution of all different kinds of movies throughout the time. Um, they actually were the ones who, uh, um, that their distribution arrangement with AIP actually led to the last two of Corman's uh, Edgar Allan Poe movies, Masquerade yep. Death and Tomb of, the, uh, Tomb of Liger. Um, what happened yeah, was... Those, those Poe movies sold really well in the UK. Mm-hmm. And being in color, I think, helped them as well. So, yeah, it was it, it was one of those situations where they were feeding the market, right? It's like, you know, if you produce this, we can, we can distribute it. Everybody can make some make a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, so they they were known for uh, you know distributing what were considered to be uh, you know we would call them B movies over there they would call them second movies you know kind right. of thing they were the not the the A picture the B picture as we would call it here right um, you know um, they eventually uh, you know whatever else might have happened they became um, uh, film production or their film production side was Insignia Films uh, now Studio Canal. Uh, via Canon Films actually owns their entire their library, the movies that they actually produce, not just what they distributed. So, um, which is you know interesting because Studio Canal we see now, Studio Canal used to be this tiny little outfit, and now that's a yeah. major player. You know, right. um, so it's just funny how that happens. Remember when Lionsgate was nothing? That's exactly what I was going to say. Remember when Lionsgate you when you'd see it, it's like oh this that's uh it's it's some director video horror movie right? Yeah. Right, that he wrote up in Fangoria, and then you're seeing like Lionsgate and like real movies. You're like, wait, what? Yeah, and it's well, you know, to be <laughs> that's honest, not right. To be honest with you, Dimensional started the same way. Uh, you know, eventually Dimensional kind of got bigger and bigger. But the the biggest of all of them is New Line Pictures. New Line Pictures, yes. the house that Freddie built, um, was just an office was an office on the what second or third floor of a building in New York City, and yeah, right. it was Bob Shea and uh, you know like two other people and you know. Uh, what's and you know, may, you know, maybe his sister, you know, kind of thing, whatever. And then you know, Nightmare on Elm Street hits, and New Line it becomes what's called a mid-major, eventually, actually being sold for more money than they ever thought they would be ever worth. And it's crazy, but, uh, but you know, we're getting kind of that's a little farther down the line than well, I that's you know that's true. that's that's the story of genre filmmaking, right? Of, yeah. of B pictures and stuff. It's it you know may, like we we say it all the time B pictures can put and genre movies can put butts in seats butts mm-hmm. in seats make money and in Hollywood more than more than most other places money talks and BS does yeah. you know walks you know yeah. so <laughs> so yeah folks I mean I mean as Luke said that's that's right on the nose I mean it's 
it's amazing how people will often kind of dismiss, you know, genre movies. Oh, it's just this, you know, B movie. And yet when you talk to people about the movies they remember, a lot of times it's a B movie than what they remember. Or, you know, I mean, I know people will say, well, you know, uh, you know, how can whatever Predator be one of your favorite movies of all time? I'm like, have you ever seen Predator? Like the movie's awesome. Like the movie's got action. It's got, you know, uh, some great one liners that lines that stick with you forever. The special effects are off the map. Like people say that and they're like, oh, yeah, I guess so. You know, or like when we talked about RoboCop, people are like exactly, yeah. RoboCop, that's just some throwaway movie. It's like, yeah, but you watch RoboCop, and you're like, oh my god, it influenced so many movies afterwards. Right, and um, it, and it's also it's it's impossible to say what's going to stick with you and what's not. Yeah, and there's a lot more what we would call a B type of picture than there are A pictures in this world. Mm-hmm. And if you, especially if you like genre film, you're going to watch more B pictures, and something about that may stick with you, may speak with you. Mm-hmm. It may be. You know, you saw it when you were a kid, and it's always stuck with you. It may be that something about one of the characters you could relate to, and it meant something to you. It's it's impossible to say with any type of artwork. And, you know, I, I don't want to get into this because I've said it hundreds of times on, on podcasts, I'm sure. But, you know, no film is either completely artistic or completely commercial. Mm-hmm. There is a balance, and we see it here. This is, a, this is a film you look at and you go, okay, yeah, there's a lot of high art here. And you're like, eh, maybe not. But there, are, there is some artistic aspects of this, which is why we're talking about it. Yeah. Right? So, uh, real quick, let's throw your stars out there for you. Whit Bissell, it literally Whit is. Bissell this Whit Bissell. This Whit Bissell. boss. Well, so for those who remember when we talked about Teenage uh, Werewolf, he's the, psychi- the psychologist there who turns, who reverts Michael Landon back into the uh, werewolf. When Dad and I told him, we told him, when Dad and I talked about Teenage Werewolf, um, we talked about the idea that this is lycanthropy in the in the idea, quote unquote, of not of the full moon. So not real like folklore lycanthropy. This is reverting man back to his primitive state, much right. like what happens in Monster on the Campus. Um, and we talk about some of the connections there. Um, yeah. But at the time, if you think about it, um, you know, like that was I don't think you'd ever seen something like I mean, that was not werewolves were not that, um, you know, Lon no. Chaney um, hadn't worn the werewolf makeup since what, 49 for uh, Abin Costello. And even in uh, Abin Costello meet the killer Boris Koloff, a.k.a. Abin Costello meet Dr. Echo, Mr. Hyde. He's not a werewolf. He's Mr. Hyde. But the werewolf in I was a teenage werewolf is his de-evolution into his primitive form. Well, it, not that that's what Hyde is, because Hyde is the evil that is Hyde inside of a man, but isn't that kind of the idea of Hyde? It's it's like right. this base well, element, you know, right? It's, it's the, yeah, it's a, it's a, the, when we, that that's always kind of the, the schism, right? Between what we would call a werewolf story or a Jekyll and Hyde story, Yeah. right? It's it's what what are we, is, is it someone who against their will is becoming a monster or is it someone that they have this inside of them already? And, and they, it is, it's a, it becomes an allegory like, you know, Stevenson in the, in, in the novella, it's an allegory for, for drug use, Yes. but it's an allegory for whatever, uh, either, either choosing to, or choosing, making a choice that changes your level of control to allow you know, the, the, the dark sides of you to come out. And what's great about teenage werewolf. And it's the same, we see it in this movie too, mm-hmm. is that with Bissell, because first, Bissell is a boss. He was a character actor. He was in anything, any show you could think of through the 50s and 60s. Dude was in the Manchurian Candidate, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Okay, he was in the Magnificent Seven. 
Okay. I mean, did tons of uh, Westerns and war pictures. I mean, he was in Seven Days in May, had plenty, plenty of roles. You've seen Whit Bissell, even if you don't realize you've seen Whit Bissell. Um, so, but he is so good in this, in playing essentially the same role as he does in the last one, but not the same role, where it's, it's you know, again, understanding that it's a teen audience that's going to come to this. Yes, the teen is the monster. A monster is a tragic figure, right? Yep. A a villain is not can be tragic, but a villain normally is not a tragic figure. And Whit Bissell plays a villain to the hilt in this movie. And the the way that his his method of delivery is is incredible in this movie. I love Whit Bissell's uh, performance in this film. It is it is fantastic. Yeah. So if you thought Whit Bissell was was chewing scenery in the in Werewolf, there's nothing compared to this one. He's literally on the screen. I don't know, got to be, what, 80% of the movie? Like, he's... If not it's, more. There's only, yeah. there's only a couple of scenes he's not in. I mean, this is this is a movie about him. This is Okay, so this is the thing. Uh, the old Frankenstein movie, is it about the, the, the man or the monster, right? Well, and and as we know from Peter Cushing's, uh, you know, great portrayals of uh, the Baron, right, kind of thing, is that the man is the monster, and then he creates a, a sewn-together creature... Right. And they call the creature, the monster, even here, um, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the creature here is not a monster. He just doesn't know any better. The monster is the man. And that's that's part of what he does a really good job here. I think he he does a good job of paying homage to um, what came before him in. I want to say, you know, like with like Frankenstein and, and you know, Bride of Frankenstein and stuff, where you start seeing the madness of that, of, of the, the, you know, the, the scientist, quote unquote, the doctor. Um, but let's be honest. I mean, this is 57. We haven't even gotten into the run of Peter Cushing being right. the Baron yet. Um, yeah. A lot of it can it's, be it, seen here. I was going to say, it's a very interesting. Co- um, uh, I, I, I don't know that it's coincidental. Uh, other than they were made on different continents by different studios, but uh, it maybe it speaks to the larger trend at the time and the larger um, post-war attitudes about scientific experiment uh, and dabbling in God's domain. But Curse of Frankenstein, and I was a teenage Frankenstein, came out within six months of each other. Yeah. Because the Curse of Frankenstein was, debuted in um, in the UK, in London, in May of 1957. As we said, this was... Uh, six months later. Yeah. There's, so there's and, no and, way in the world did, they knew about well, each other. The thing is, is that I will say this. So it, it did, it did get released in the U S in July of 57. So it was over here. It was a known thing. So whether AIP was influenced by that portrayal or whether it was again, some external thing that influenced both portrayals of uh, Peter Cushing and Whit Bissell as a, as a viewer, we reap the rewards, right? Because it is a fascinating performance, and it's way more interesting to lean into Peter Cushing in, in I Was a Teenage Frankenstein than would have been to lean into Colin Clive. Yes. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, your, your female lead in the movie uh, is Phyllis Coates. Uh, Phyllis Coates, who, is, who passed – who passed uh, no, she's still alive. She's 95. Holy yep. smokes. She is 95. Um, she did not a ton. She was did some stage work, some film work. She was in Gunfighters of the North uh, Northwest, Panther Girl of the Congo. Um, uh, she had a role in Girls in Prison. Uh, you know, uh, Cattle Empire, The Incredible Petrified World. Um, you know those, th- and even up until 1989, 
good uh good night sweet marilyn she doesn't make a lot of movies i mean she, she took time off in there to get married uh and divorced one two three one two three four times and has three children so you know obviously she took time in there but she also is known for her time on tv uh yeah. having guest roles on how death uh death valley got its name um she was on uh she was in the cast of the lone ranger uh she uh actually wound up um uh the, her more more famous for being i mean well but she was in all 39 episodes of the uh, sitcom this is alice in 58 but then she got her role uh, as lois lane um in adventures of superman and she was actually in the movie uh superman and the mole men and yep. then she was on season one of the adventures of superman right and uh, of course uh she was not Noel uh, Noel Neal. Yes, she had played Lois Lane previously, and she was she was uh, she replaced uh, Coates as Lois Lane, and so it's uh, so that is you know it's kind of the thing. It's like well, is it an early one or a later one as far as the Lois? You know, get the changing Lois situation. Yeah. What's interesting is that um, she has, like I said, she has a ton of credits. I think it's funny that both she and Whit Bissell had multiple credits on Perry Mason. Yes. Uh, so I thought that was funny. She also appeared uh, several times on, on Gunsmoke and The Untouchables, you know, yep. usually playing different characters. Um, what's also kind of uh, – I like this one. So, see, um, I never watched Lois and Clark, but yeah, no. my wife did. My wife was a big fan of Lois and Clark. And uh, Phyllis Coates plays Lois Lane's mother – on Lois and Clark. So she only appears a few times on that show, but she does keep that tradition going of old Lois Lane's playing Lois Lane's parents in Superman uh, productions, which uh, is still going on to this day is still having old care, old uh, actors come back to play the parents of modern characters in which, Superman yeah. productions. So Warner's likes that and they're sticking to it. Yeah. Uh, the other name here uh, is Gary Conway um, who plays the creature. Um, Gary Conway, um, you know, obviously he's famous for being, uh, you know, the Frankenstein's monster, quote unquote here. Um, and then he uh, was in How to Make a Monster as well. Uh, the saga of the Viking women and uh, and their voyage to the waters of the great sea serpent. Wow. Yeah, the that was longest, the longest wow. title. I believe that is the longest title of any film ever on Mystery Science Theater 3000, even more than the incredibly the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Oh, my gosh. I that, forgot it was that long. Yeah, that. You were if if Saga of the Viking Women, if, if those of that may have seen it, the title card is like a book. Yes. Like they open the book and it's like the, it's like a paragraph. Yeah. And it is the title card. That's why it's so ridiculously long. Yeah. Uh, Conway eventually went on to go to, to be in Land of the Giants uh, from 68 yes. to 70, uh, where he played Captain Steve Burton. And of course, we know that's an Irwin Allen uh, series. And, uh, um, you know, then we go on. He was in television movies. He uh he had other credits. He acted up until, you know, having credits, even uh, American Ninja 2, The Confrontation um, yep. in 87, um, and then Liberty and Bash in 89. Uh, so, you know, uh, Gary Conway, uh, he's 86 um, kind of thing. So and he's yep. technically listed as still and active as, as still an active. active. I mean, the thing is, is that um, so. So what one thing real quick, you mentioned Land of the Giants. Erwin Allen. I'm a big fan of Land of the Giants. It's a very, very fun show. Great Aurora model kit also. Um, so an earlier Erwin Allen joint was the Time Tunnel. Yes. And who appeared in 30 episodes of the Time Tunnel? Whit Bissell. Yes. So yeah. uh, the thing about Gary Conway is that he's definitely got leading man looks. 
he's a good looking guy, you know? Um, and, and he, he certainly looks like he would be the captain of the spin drift, right. On, on uh, land of the giants. He's got that kind of, you know, kind of, kind of rocky jaw set determined look kind of, uh, you know, white, white meat, baby face sort of, sort of uh, yep. deal. Right. So yep. he certainly looks the part. I don't know that he was ever going to be an A-list guy, but he does pop up time uh, a few times and, and he's usually good. I mean, he's not, um, you know, you're not asking him to do Shakespeare, but if you're asking him to do, you know, something like this where it's uh, more of a character role, I think he's a, I think he does a great job. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he's got a fantastic look and he's got a great, he's got a great physique. I mean, a lot of this movie, you know, he's got his makeup on, but man, he looks damn, you know, they're, they're, they're the scene where, where he will get to it, where he's exercising. It's like, here's something for the dates that the boys all brought, right? Because that's what that is. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, in, uh, for those who remember in, uh, in Teenage Werewolf, um, you know, during the scene where uh, the young lady is on the uh, is upside down doing the thing, you know, the um, the, the gymnastics, gymnastics. Uh, you know, that eventually um, the uh, the actress who played there was uh, she she was uh, actually the play, Playboy Playmate. Uh, only a few months before uh, the actual um, the actual movie came out, which was uh, a yeah. huge huge thing. I mean that that they that they were able to get. I mean, and I as we said, like you know, some people might have recognized her from that, but let's be honest, a lot of kids didn't see that stuff, you know, kind of thing. But she was uh, she was in there, um, you know, uh, it was uh, Dawn Richard, that's her name, and she was the 22 year old Playboy centerfold model at the time, appearing in the May 57 magazine couple months ahead of the movie so um all right let's get back to this i know we're talking i know i know we're talking teenage frankenstein can i just Mm -hmm. make a little editorial comment about teenage werewolf real quick that scene is insane for 1957 isn't it yep i mean i'm i'm apropos of nothing there you look at that you take that scene out of context of a a a teenager a high school student turning into a monster and attacking a girl in the gym like that and it's not graphic at all, but just the way it's blocked out, the mm-hmm. way it's shot, out of context, you say that's got to be the mid '60s, right? Yep. No, 1957. Well, that, I just again not related to what we're talking about here, but I, I was reviewing Teenage Werewolf in preparation for this, and I it's like, man, it that is so striking, you know? So Dad and I talked about the idea that in Teenage Werewolf, um, besides being the first real like werewolf movie of its own up to the time, because remember the other ones all come after it. All of a sudden, right. the werewolf movies that happen all come after this movie. Um, it has a couple scenes that are so well done that, you know, it's like that. That was a successful day on the set. You know, they only spent yeah. seven days making the movie, um, you know, and, and, and a movie where literally there's only one house and the kitchen is the place where you see everything that goes on with Michael Landis character and his girlfriend right. stuff all happens in the living room because we can't because they're, they're in the same house. Um you know, kind of thing. Uh, but, but that scene alone was copied and, 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 you know, redone over and over. And no one knows where they got it from because no one knows the reference, but we do, um, yeah. if you know, your if you know, your movie reference. So, all right. Um, again, we're going to start going through the, uh, the plot here. If not, I don't have a super long plot summary, a few paragraphs here. Um, and we'll stop and talk through it like we normally do. So professor Frankenstein, that's Whit Bissell uh, is a guest lecturer from England. Um, is, is in talks to Dr. Carlton, who's played by Robert Burton, um, in talks Robert, uh, Dr. Carlton into becoming an unwilling accomplice in his secret plan to actually assemble a human body 
from parts of different cadavers. All right, we can stop right there. So that's literally how this movie opens. Yeah. He's in there talking. He's he's giving a lecture, and he's been giving a lecture series long enough that everyone knows this is his thing. Like, this is his shtick. To the point that there's another professor, like, you know, says, look, dude, we like what you're saying, but can you stop pitching this whole bringing dead bodies back to life thing? So why did did the opening of this movie remind me of the opening of Young Frankenstein? Just yes. say it. Just say it. <laughs> <laughs> right. The, the difference is, is that you know, he doesn't stab himself in the leg with a scalpel like in, yeah. in Young Frankenstein. Right. But I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying it's, but like, how yeah. do, I mean, I understand that Young Frankenstein is making fun of that, those kind of ideas, because it's not the only movie that starts with a lecture. Uh, you can go watch any number of movies that start yeah. with a lecture, including how, uh, Monster on the Campus. Uh, yep. But I'm saying is, I just, it was just like what's coming on, like, man, this is Young Frankenstein right here, um, yeah. even though it's, it's, you know, years later. Um, uh, after recovering a body from a uh, catastrophic automobile wreck, it's easy for me to say, Professor Frankenstein takes the body to his laboratory slash morgue, where he keeps spare parts of human being in various drawers. Now, let me just back this up for a second. There's a lot to unpack in in that sentence, okay? So, first off, uh, all throughout his, his, his house and the laboratory, we get all the electrical equipment. Oh, okay. That if hang you've on, ever seen on. a Universal uh, Frankenstein movie, you know where we're going with this. Okay, so hang on one second. Yeah. Before we even get to that, they're having this conversation, and we hear the the car screeches, and then yes. boom, and then like it, that what? is the most convenient car wreck in the history of cinema. <gasps> He's like, we need to get bodies. Where can we get bodies? Boom! And he run outside, and, and then I love the I love the guy at the wreck. Oh, it was a two cars full of teenagers, young virile teenagers, in perfect condition for somebody to cut them apart and sew them back together. That one guy was thrown clear of the entire audience, so there's no way we can see how gruesomely injured he is, and he's off camera, so it'd be convenient for someone to steal him and no one noticed. Well, he, he's like he's like, well, let's go check. Did you check on him? Oh, I couldn't stomach it. I can't. Like the guy is literally plot exposition. This yeah. is a 74-minute movie. Now, oh, <laughs> let me just mention this. The movie runs 74 minutes. The cut on YouTube is that like is that's the uncut one I think. So right? there there's a couple of different there's, there's there's a couple of different ones on YouTube. There's one that is like 72 minutes and change. That is the cut one. The one that's like 73 minutes and change is the uncut one. It's yeah. literally one scene. Yeah. So just want to throw it out there. So in case those yeah. you because when you want to go watch it later, that's where you're going to probably find this thing. So uh, the the thing is, it's like, you know, he's like, look, we only got 74 minutes. We yeah. got to get a lot of plot out of here real quick. Here's how to get all the plot out. This guy just spills the entire plot to you, which is great. Right. Um, so after they, then, they, 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 they bring they, they managed to swipe the body from the car wreck. Right now, there's like there's like maybe a dozen people yeah. standing around. There are flames, flames. On the side of my face, <laughs> building out of the two cars. I mean, they literally set these cars on fire. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, wow, real fire sort of thing. But they steal this. They steal the body. And it's not a small body because they're taking both Professor Frankenstein and Dr. Carlton to carry this dude. Right. 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 And they take him and they bring him back to the house. And eh, nobody, nobody seems to notice. Well, you know, it's like, I love, Fra- I love, I love Frankenstein's ex- uh, answer. Won't they notice that somebody's missing with all their bodies mangled in the fire? They'll never know. Yeah. Okay. I mean, in the I'm, interest but I'm of willing fairness, to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, forensic science was not where no, you know, in the right. 50s was not what it is today. Yeah. They weren't counting how many sets of teeth they had. Well, I don't yeah. know. Uh, we we seem to be a body short. Well, that person could have got burned up. I guess so. Um, you know, 
It's like, yeah, we can always make more teenagers. It's the fifties after all. I don't want anything left. I burn up the bones, the the hair, the teeth, everything. Burn it all the way up. Ernie, turn it all the way up. So, uh, <laughs> it's another it's not great... a bad question, Bert. <laughs> I love that movie so great. And dad's like, I don't know about this one. He watches like this movie's yeah. amazing. I'm like, I told yep. you. I told you. Uh, so where yeah, were so we? they get they get into the morgue. Yes. And okay. Yeah. Frankenstein lays out what his plan is and why he's doing it, that he wants to, you know, help improve the human condition. And he has a great line here and that he said that if, that if we do it this way, we can control breeding. Yes. And he says, if you breed morons, you beget morons. <laughs> it's like slow yeah. clap, Professor Frankenstein, yeah. slow clap. The problem is at this point, Frankenstein, again, remember, this is all priests is all before like, the Cushing run as the Baron where you got some amazing lines out of him too about yeah. like not caring about anything that happens to anybody kind of thing. Right. right. Like literally Whip Bissell here is just like, he's delivering line. I mean, I know someone wrote them, but he's delivering these lines and you're like, yeah, I, I could yeah. buy that, you know, kind of thing. So. Well, that's what I mean. He, his delivery is, is incredible. I mean, most, the things that most people remember from this film are either the the, the, the the makeup, yeah, because the makeup is pretty memorable because of the poster, and and Whip Bissell's lines. I mean, he has a couple of lines in this. Some of them are like I said, they're just they're just crazy, but some of them are are really really good. I mean, he talks about that he wants to get young bodies to use because you don't want a a, a, a uh, you know if, if you're going to take a brain and and uh, you know clear it all out and then retrain it you want something that's fresh not one that's tired from a lifetime of of living yeah. the whole trend is toward death yeah it's like oh that's that's a cool line for frankenstein you know yeah. so there's there's there, and and of course the, the the most famous one comes later but the yeah, we'll one that, that yes yeah. yeah, <laughs> the most famous one is later but the one that the line that really i think is the defining characteristic of professor frankenstein and again, much like Peter Cushing, he is Peter Cushing's Baron. He is the monster of this film, and he proves it over and over. He says, "In this laboratory, there is no death until I declare it." Right. And that is again, if you put that again, take it out of context, put that out there, and say, "Oh, which Frankenstein? Which which Frankenstein said this?" People are going to say Peter Cushing, but I'll be danged, it's with Bissell. I think, doesn't he have there's, he's there's a line a little, similar to what I bet, There's a little bit though. of smarts here. There's a little bit of smarts here that helps this movie just enough, you know? Yeah, but I think, I think isn't there – I think Cushing has a line similar to that somewhere it in does. one of those things. Yes. But it's but it's years later. Um, yeah. All right, so let's um, – where are we here? So – okay. Oh, so, yeah, he has spare body parts in various drawers. So yep. that part right there, that's all true. He's got parts, mm-hmm. like, put away. And, 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 and so Dr. Carlson says, where'd you get these? He goes, oh, here and there. Like, yeah. like as if, I don't know, doesn't a hand just fall off every now and then? I just got them. So, well, he, you know, if you buy, if you buy one hand, no one notices. If you buy multiple hands from the same location, <laughs> you know, that might raise a flat. Twelve milkmen is theoretically possible. Thirteen. So, um, yeah. Twelve milkmen, though unlikely, is it's, possible. It's possible. Oh. <laughs> uh, Okay, where were we? So, um, the professor also enlists the aid of Margaret, which is Phyllis uh, Coates, um, as his secretary to keep all the callers away from his laboratory. Okay, so uh, uh, Margaret here is the nurse who has been working with him. Um, so she she is employed by the university and works at the hospital. He can, and I guess they, they well, 
we we learned this very quickly. They have this little romance developing here. Um, and he asked her to yeah. move into the house and to give up being a nurse and give up her job at the university and whatever. Um, I okay. So we talk about movies having, you know, you could tell this was made in the sixties, the seventies, the eighties. You could tell this was made in the fifties because he's like, right. well, give up your entire career. Yes. To come move in here to get married with me. And, you know, and not only is she okay with this. She's enthusiastic about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's the 50s damage yeah, right there. that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that, that 50s damage is right there. I mean, I guess it could have happened in the 40s also, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. It literally, right. this was not, uh, because you go too much earlier, and again, not to sound horrible, but let's be very honest, um, you know, I mean, not that women couldn't be nurses and stuff, but the idea that she had a whole career that she's getting rid of, there was a time in movies when women didn't have careers. Their entire job right. was just be home with the kids. Um, you know, or yeah. take care of the house. And that's not me being sexist. That's me being honest about the way women were portrayed on screen for years and yeah. years and years. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, the, the, I mean, you and I know that's the only the only roles available for women for a long time in Hollywood. And some might argue still persists in uh, in certain aspects of Hollywood as, you know, wives, girlfriends, daughters. You know, it's always in relation to something else, yeah. you know, or nurses or teachers, you know, yeah. something like that. That's a what we might call a pink collar type of, of job. So, yeah, I mean, that again, and, and it, it, it fits in line. You know, it's, it's hard to criticize that too much because it's like, well, it, is it enlightened? No, but that was also the norm of the time. Yeah. And, 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 his, and th- let me tell you, there's other things I'm going to criticize about the, por- the treatment of Margaret in this film. This is relatively innocuous. <laughs> yeah, no, I just wanted to point that out because some people would say, well, why would she give that up? Because it's 1957. This wasn't uncommon uh, women were obviously in the workplace much more again, and 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 that sounded that I mean doing well, I mean, having in the post war period, yeah, started having, having that. You yeah, know, there was ha- more women entering the workforce in general as yes. we got uh, after World War II and into the fifties, and obviously leading into the sixties, yeah. where a lot, obviously, a lot of societal changes led to that too. Right, I'm saying, and having full on careers, like real, yes. like not just working whatever, but like literally, they don't need a man; they can take care of themselves. They have a career that provides them everything they need they don't you know kind of thing so um to have her do that it makes sense but it also then will make sense as we keep going um as to maybe why she stays uh when maybe we shouldn't have stayed um but you know just to real quick to luke's point um there's a reason why uh when we talk about not necessarily here but dad and i talk about uh like friday 13 and stuff like that we talk about final girls and we talk about whatever like there's a reason why that was so important, even if you dismiss it, that in the movie that the young lady who has been the whole time, you know, smarter than all the dumb than, than all the dumb guys and the one who does all the things. There's a reason why, um, you know, they outsmart whoever and are there at the end. There's a reason why Alice lives. There's a reason why, you know, like in Friday the 13th, one, two, like th- there's a reason why they live because they're they outsmart everybody. They do the right things. That was not the case before. And yeah. let's be very honest, as much as people might want to, you know, dismiss whatever, that's very important. The idea that Nancy is super important in the in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. She's the she's the the hero of this whole series until eventually she passes her powers on uh to um uh um Arquette. Yeah. I forgot her name right now. I don't now. remember. I don't I remember. I totally her forgot her name. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying, right? But like but I mean and you can trace a lot of that back. 
to Ripley. Hey, a phone call coming in. It's not even a call-in show. Give me a second. And we're back. Uh, so uh, we had Margaret. Okay, so we've, we've now been we've met Margaret. She's gonna she's now gonna be uh, his secretary and basically uh, keep everyone away from him possible. Uh, so he has time to work. So Margaret, becoming suspicious of what's going on, decides to investigate and goes down to the morgue. Okay, so um, let's talk about what's actually happening here. So yeah, we, we see so a the, lot the of synopsis. The synopsis is a little out of order here. Yeah. Okay, because. And this is in the next line of the synopsis here. So we see that they go and they have the body and they examine the body that they stole from the car wreck. And they say that one of his legs is destroyed above the knee Mm -hmm. and the uh, and one of his one of his hands is crushed and that his face is ruined. But it appears that his brain is is okay. Yes. And the professor says that, well, a face is relatively easy as long as the brain is 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 undamaged. So then we again, continuing with the the Frankenstein imagery. Now we're going to rob a grave. Yes. You know. Yeah. And it is a great it is a fantastic uh, headline that basically it is a small plane crash carrying high, a track and field team that crashes that takes out the entire a, a, a entire cabin full of virile young men. Yeah. In the prime of their life, all that training now for naught. And you can yeah. see as as professor's reading the paper and he is he's like just one step shy of like literally licking his job. <laughs> oh, my, yeah, it's very true. Very true. Um, so and then we uh, actually see them amp, do the amp like we don't actually see him. But then the professor and Dr. Carlton are performing surgery. Yeah. And we actually see the, the the hand that is removed and the leg that is removed yeah. off of their original victim. And th- this leads to – this is fantastic because Dr. Carlton, you know, he's a logical guy. You know, he, he kind of knows the score here. He says, well, how are we going to dispose of this? And, uh, we can't risk burning them or burying them. It, it would risk our uh, dis- risk discovery. And Professor's like, you plebe. Come on, you Melvin. I've got this all figured out. I've got a solution for just that. So he goes over and flips a switch, and one of the electrical panels is apparently either on some kind of gimbals or it's a fake because it slides right. up. And there's a pit with an alligator in it that he throws the now obviously desiccating and rotting pieces of human to. Yeah, and right. the gator's like, yeah, snap them up, man. That sounds great. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, what I, you, I always have to ask this. How was this built? Right. What contract is like, well, right. you know, buddy, if you want to put an alligator pit in here, we're going to have to get the city inspector out here. You know, well, I don't know why it sounds like that. but you know. Here's the thing, is, though. <laughs> this guy's just visiting from England. He right. doesn't own this place. They don't just do renovations on your rental. Just... Maybe it's like an maybe it's like an Airbnb sort of situation. It's oh like, are God. you a mad scientist? Are you visiting for, you know, six to nine months to the U.S.? It's like, this is a great deal. You know, it, it, you know, we, we, we include all your, you know, it's fully furnished. We've right, got all right. the, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, uh, we, we have temperature settings as low as 36 degrees for your morgue. Um, yeah. he says that too. He was like, yeah, but the, the amputations that is, I mean, again, for a 1957, that, that's kind of yeah. gruesome. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm surprised they showed it. Um, yeah. and I mean, not, they didn't actually show them amputating, but to show the actual limbs, uh, you know, and the hand and everything like actually yeah. being moved there was kind of a little push in the envelope for 1957. Um, I like, I like. I mean, that. And then I it do reminded like that me of the, more uh, mid 60s, mid 60s. Exactly. We'd see exactly. It. Yeah. So, yeah. But you and, know what? And 
Yeah, was, go ahead. Yeah. So I was saying AIP, uh, you know, at, at times people might look at AIP pictures and go, oh, they're so silly. They're so campy. But there are times they took chances that led to things we would just be take for granted. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it, like I said, it, it leans on being exploitative, but it's not really. Yeah. I mean, we're not in like it's not a gory thing, but it is it is a bit more beyond what you would expect from an AIP film from this era. And uh, the other the other part of that I do like is that they make a point that they're giving him the hands of a wrestler, yeah, and the leg of a football star, yeah. I really liked that, yeah. Just a little thing, just a little thing in the dialogue, but it's like, okay, so now he's got again whether that whether you believe that you know that oh well I've got a body part from someone that used to be a wrestler I'm gonna have really strong hands now whether you believe that or not it's still cool. <laughs> Right. Because it's like, OK, now he's got big hands and now maybe he's got one really big leg. You know? <laughs> maybe he's just going to walk in circles. <laughs> oh, all right. Where were we? So, um, OK, so, at, so after they've done all this, uh, Mar- that's when Margaret uh, goes and she actually uh, gets into the morgue and she's um, where is it? She she's sees the monster. She pulls out the thing and she sees the monster um, and um uh, she, but she doesn't tell the professor because she doesn't want to uh, know to, to, that she discovered it, and she keeps silent for for now. So yeah. one night, the monster, it says, leaves the laboratory, uh, escapes the laboratory. He doesn't just leave. He kind of escapes, you know, kind of thing, because they're not really setting the monster up to do that. Um, so they've been working with the monster, or the monster, the creature, um, you know, to kind of like, well, they've got the thing grafted. They're trying to get, they're trying to get him to be uh you know stronger they have him like they're you know they're feeding him yeah. and whatever they're trying to get him to work on getting his hands are stronger and stuff like that they're trying to build him up yep yeah well, uh, this, and this is and but so yeah. the professor appears to be somewhat benevolent yeah to to his charge here he's not but he appears to be he talks to him he calls him my boy all the time he brings him the exercise equipment which i referred to earlier that is uh where I, my note was beefcake monster because, yeah. um, you know, he is, uh, uh, I mean, Gary Conway is just curling and pressing and curling and pressing. It's like, and his arms are like really cut up. And again, that's for all the, the girls that agreed to go on a date to go see this movie, basically. They, um, but he's also teaching him to speak again. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to, it's the greatest line in this movie as he's coaching the, uh, the, the young man how to speak. And he says, speak. I know you have a civil tongue in your head because I sewed it back myself. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't get that type of dialogue in a picture. Yeah. I'm that's just right. Saying. Yeah. In yeah. <laughs> yeah. all of gone with the wind, there is no line nearly no. like that. So, um, you know, even if she did make the dress out of curtains, wait, that's the wrong thing. Yeah. Anyway. And then, and then, but that, all that leads up to is his angst, his teenage angst. Why am I stuck down here? Why can't right. I go among people? And he says, do you want to know why? And he cuts the bandages off and, it's at the 37 minute mark yeah. that we see the the teenage Frankenstein's face, yeah. and it's such a it's it's in in, in the on the one hand it's ridiculous, on the yes. other hand it's striking yes. and memorable. <laughs> and what I like about it, similar to the teenage werewolf, because it is an appliance. It's not a it's or it might be partially a mask, but it, it's still appliance onto yeah, applied yeah, onto his yeah, face. Yeah. Okay, the the right eye. It looks like a big fried egg. Okay, so that it, that is the fried egg eye. It's what it's referred to. Okay, and but the other one, that's his eye. Yeah. So you can see 
his emotion in the one good eye. You know, it, it's we talk about this with suit acting a lot. You convey so much emotion through the eyes. Uh, personal favorite of mine, Lon Chaney Jr. as Karras, because he was mute, conveyed so much emotion through his his one good eye. Right. Similar idea here is that we do feel for him. At one point, he actually is crying. And it's like and then the professor's like, wow, even the tear ducts still work. Yeah. You know, so it's like clearly we know where his interest lies. But I think it's a really good job on the makeup again as as crazy and and goofy as it is uh, it, it's very memorable and i think it i think it, it's executed well in that we still get the ability to see the emotion of gary conway shining through yeah uh so yeah so for the i've painted the big head i've painted another bust uh that's smaller you have uh yep. you know you've painted uh the the actual old kit uh, yeah, the old that, that is the largest model kit I've ever built, and one of my absolute favorites. It's yeah. a fantastic kit. Yeah, that's the one where I'm drilling the piece, and yeah. I hit the pocket of um, uh, where um, the resin had not mixed well with the um, the um, kicker, and it's yeah. caught fire, and it's fire like trying to blow out yeah. the hole, and there's fire coming out. You're like, what are you doing? I'm like nothing, nothing. Yeah, well, bad enough. We're working down there with the resin. We don't got, you know, mass on or nothing. There's fumes, there's particulates, all yeah. sorts of crap. Right. We're underground, so there's certainly no yeah. airflow, you know, kind of thing. Right. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. There's so many worse things, though. But I think, anyway, uh, right. where are we? So, the other thing I like about yeah. this, but right before he breaks out, Margaret is so sick and tired of basically the professor working in the lab and then writing his notes, working yes. in the lab and writing his notes. So he suggests they go for a drive and she likes this because they'll be alone together. They can talk about the fact that they're getting married. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so he goes and parks. Yeah. I mean, it's like, because if you're a teenager and you go parking, you know, the first, the first thing you want is the middle-aged couple to pull up and park next to you. Right. Because that's <laughs> cool. You know? Yeah. Hey, we're here at Makeout Point. Hey, isn't that the guy that your dad was working with? It's like, oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm not sure how it works. You just kind of put your mirrors in, I guess, and go, oh, well, that's a different thing. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> anyway, um, so where were we? Okay, so uh, one night the monster uh, escapes the lab, and he peers into a girl's apartment. Um, and I think she's only credited as beautiful girl. Yes, Angela Blake girl. is. Yeah, it's only our girl. I, could, I did not find other credits. Unfortunately, that name not quite um no i don't have like, a little too common for me yeah. to find other credits but so, she's a, a beautiful young woman for yeah sure. um so she starts screaming hysterically uh and um as she starts screaming he attempts to silence her as he breaks through the window um yep. and he manages to kill her so because <laughs> he's like yeah, no no so, stop talking so oh he, okay yeah. you're done so, yeah, so he, he kind of pull he kind of pulls a george reeves superman here and uh, bashes through the, through the wall. wall. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and again, I, I like this because, again, he's scared and panicked and he kills her mostly by accident. I mean, he grabs her and I guess either it just breaks her neck because he's grabbing her and trying to cover her mouth. Yeah. And she just drops, you know, yeah. it's like, again, you know, and, and I'm not and again, I'm, I'm not saying that every film made before this was uh, puritanical. But it's kind of a hands-on way yeah. for a monster to kill a young, pretty blonde girl on, on screen. screen without yeah. any, you know, the can it's not discreetly cut. I mean, he definitely kills her, and she's, I mean, there's she can't kind of make it. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you and can't, then he you can't flees bounce. out. He, he flees, yeah, yeah, like, we could have bounced. 
you know, so he, he flees. And again, it's similar to the bit with the, the gymnast in uh, Teenage Werewolf where everybody sees him running out, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty cool. And again, you, he's, he's in, he's not, he's in more control of his mental facilities than teenage werewolf, but he's still not. Right. Right. He's still, he, well, he's, right. because he's, he's obviously a, undergone tremendous trauma yeah. and he's being experimented on. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of so has, he, he's not necessarily in his control of, right, his, right, of his, right. of his mind. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of has the mind of a child at this point, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's been reset and they're starting over again. Um, you know, so he doesn't know what to do. So the next morning, the hunt is on for the murderer, right? So they asked six different people. He gets six different things, but they said the, uh, the only thing they would know is the basically how ugly he is. Right. Right. So because they're asking Whip Bissell and he's like, Whoa, well, how would I know if I have seen this man? It's like, you know, (laughs) like he's just like, you know, all you needed him to do was kind of lean on the desk, be like, you know, you know, and tap the pipe on his chin. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> hmm. hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> Have I seen a, a giant man who's got a, a like a monstrous face who's going to murder women? Hmm. Let me think hmm. about that one for a minute. Yep. Uh, so Margaret uh, is so angry at the professor. He, he tells him that she knows about the mo- that the monster is responsible for the murder. Yeah. So, OK, so and... th- th- this is the que- th- this this is there's so much going on here. So. Yeah. Margaret's at the house. She has a, a, a jewelry dealer. Yes. At the house. Yeah. My question, my note is who buys their own engagement ring? Well, yeah, I but guess then so. I'm remembering, okay, she's with the professor. So of course she's going to have to buy her own engagement ring. Otherwise she ain't getting one. Right. So, so that's, you know, that, that's, that's it right there. But then, you know, so then she, you know, she, they can, she has a confrontation with him and he Hassan chops her. Like without without even pausing, right? He Hassan chops her when she dares question him because she says, she says you must never find out what happens in my laboratory. And she goes, oh, I'll ha- I have my ways of finding out. And he's like, well, what do you mean by that? And he slaps her across the face. Yeah. And then he immediately is like apologetic and consoling, and it's like, wow, this dude is a grade A scumbag. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that this was in the fifties and hysterical women were slapped in movies because that seems like medicine. That doesn't make this okay, right? And it's like it really drove home as just how much of a of a of a piece of trash this guy is, yeah. You know, and and then we we see this in the in the next scene that's about to get set up, and it's like, oh my god, I I really really hate the professor, right? It's, it's like Whit Bissell's doing a great job as embodying this scumbag character. Yeah, he sends her out to go and uh, to go buy the ring, whatever ring she wants. She comes back with it, and then we and then after this. Um, she reveals that she, she got into the, the laboratory by ma- taking, a, um, what'd she call it? A, um, a it's mold. Like clay. Yeah. yeah. She takes a mold of the lock. Yeah. I don't think that's how this works, but I mean, I, I'm willing to buy it because the, we're believing the only that... thing I will say is we actually, we do see the scene where she's at the locksmith and he's cutting the key and he says, well, ma'am, you must have a really old trunk been a long time since I've seen a key like this. So that got me thinking that maybe it's not a key like we're thinking, like a tumble lock, like a yeah. modern style tumble lock key. Maybe it's a very old fat. We never really get a good look at the key. Right. So maybe it's kind of an old fashioned type of thing. Yeah, that that potentially that could happen. I'm right. I'm willing to let it slide. I know if you go to IMDb, they, they list it as an error and it says, well, for this type of lock, it would just gum up the works and it would harden. You can't get it out. I don't know. I'm not I'm, I'm not one. I'm not a locksmith. I'm not, you know, that's not an area that I know a lot about. I'm willing to let it slide because 
other than her stealing the key and the professor's not going to leave it there for her to steal. Yeah. We need a way for this to happen. Right. 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 Yeah. Unless she, unless she stole it off the other guy, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Carlton. And, you know, that mean, that doesn't that make would require sense. Dr. Carlton to like, you know, not, show not up, be a complete sap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so when they, when they find these, she gets back and they go down to the, the, the they go down into the laboratory, to the, to the lab. Right. Um, you know, the professor is going to not going to take any chances. He's going to have the monster kill her and he's going to feed her to the alligator. So, um, you know, he has the whole point. He has her give the injection and then you hear, uh, you know, the, the, the creature say you hurt me. And she's like, well, sometimes we have to inflict pain, you know, to help you. Um, and he just like, nope, not really wanting to hear this choke city. You know, kind of thing like so. Yeah. Uh, and she joke scre- city population. You. Yeah. And you she's know? screaming like crazy. And of course, at this point, Frankenstein locks her into the, into the lab. Yeah. And then you That's... just hear like, uh, yeah. uh, like right. it's, it's like the dog dying in, in werewolf. Like you hear a bark, bark, bark. Uh, like that is supposed right. to be dead, you know, or, or like the dog in Halloween, if you prefer. Yes. But um, yeah, it's you know, it's it is so that that is the one that I uh, that I'm I, my he manipulates her yeah and tricks her into saying that she's going to help him and all that and he's he's lying her dead he's, he's staring her dead in the face and lying to her yeah and my note is is that professor is a manipulator and then when he closes the door so he doesn't have to listen to her being killed it's like that's cold professor yeah if that is cold you know the definition of psychopathy it's characterized by persistent antisocial behavior Impaired empathy and remorse and bold, disinhibited and egotistical traits. So, that, I mean, he is a like, literally a textbook definition of a psychopath Yeah. in this movie. And it's again, I'm not before, you know, again, thinking of like the the um, because, again, same year as Curse of Frankenstein, thinking of the the uh, the the universal horrors, the professor or the professor, the, the Dr. Frankenstein was misguided. He, you know, was, uh, you know, didn't believe in limitations on science and that, but he was not this level of evil like we get with the professor and also with the Baron, as I, as we said, uh, out of Hammer. So it's it's a really striking turn to the story here that he is not. It'd be one thing if he killed her and it was like a crime of passion. He plans her death systematically mm-hmm. and shows no empathy or remorse for anything that he does, right. including feeding her body to an alligator. Yep. So I mean, that, like I said, that's cold, Obi Wan. You know. <laughs> so now that he's got her out of the way, um, yep. and I like that he takes the ring oh, off. Doctor Carlton, he's been out of town, knows nothing about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been out of town. What? Where is everybody? Where's the yeah. housekeeper? Where's yeah. Margaret? Oh, I said. What? Yeah, it's like, oh, everyone conveniently left. It's like, oh, that's. I'm not going to question that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the professor accompanies the monster to Lovers Lane where he kills a teenage boy in order to obtain his face. Um, yep. So the, the shockingly, the boy whose uh, face he obtains is Bob's and Bob is played by Gary Conway, uh, yes. which is kind of cool because that's the face I want. It's my natural face. I have. So we're good. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this scene, okay. Okay. So this scene is pretty, is, is funny on a couple of levels. One, again, he knows it makes you wonder. Did the professor go park with Margaret so that he knew where he could find a supply of young bodies? Right. That was an isolated place. So, again, psychopathy. Right. 
showing no remorse for actions that are antisocial and, uh, and, and, and showing, you know, no em- empathy at all. Secondly, the, um, the teenaged uh, Frankenstein is wearing a trench coat. And for some reason, that cracks me up. It's like, no, don't hide your face. Right. But the that one... baby blue shirt you're wearing, we can't have you wear that, man. No. The one thing that they can pick out from you, he's got a coat on. Well, I thought it was the same guy, yeah. but he's got a coat on, which he's, is funny. He's got he's... a coat on. The other guy was wearing, the other guy had big arms. I don't yeah. know if this guy had big arms. Which is funny. Um, so in, this, hang on, because yeah. in Teenage Werewolf, they don't recognize him except it's he's wearing Tony's coat. It must be Tony. Yeah. So they were like, look, the coat thing. You don't, you know, we don't want to recognize him the, the blue shirt. Put the coat on. Yeah, so it's like Tony would rather die than give up that coat. Man. I don't know why Triple H is is making testimony here. <laughs> um, see other okay, so this also this scene leads into what we were talking about earlier as far as the uncut. Yeah. So in the cut one, which is actually the British cut, if it has the Anglo amalgamated yeah. uh, logo on the front, it's the one that went through the British censor, and this scene is cut, and it goes directly from the monster choking or the creature choking the, the, the you know, knocking the girl out and grabbing Bob yeah. to uh, cut straight to the girl's mom. Yep. And it's Arlene is the girl. Um, there's another little scene that takes place in between the uncut one where we see they're back in the, in the lab, the professor and the creature, and they have something covered by a, a towel and he pulls the towel off and it is the head of Gary Conway in a birdcage. Yep. And if you have that model kit that we were yep. talking about, that's the head yep. that's included. It's the severed head with the uh, look on his face. And it's like, wow, that is cool. It's only there for like a second. Yeah. But man, that is a cool visual. Yeah. Because where else are you going to put it? Put it in a pan. You got, how are you going to have a dramatic reveal otherwise unless you put it in a, uh, put it, put it in a cage? Eventually, you put it in a, in a hat box. <laughs> so, uh, but that's later on in Cushing, you know, has carrying the hat box with him. Yeah. Um, which is also another great model kit, but uh, no longer available. Yeah. Uh, where are we here? So um, the boy's face is actually successfully grafted onto the monster. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein tells Dr. Carlton of his plans to... Oh, no, we're going to get that for you. Okay, so hang on. Yeah. So they shows Dr. Carlton his face, right? He's like, it's amazing. Once we take the, staple, the stitches out, or the staples out, uh, yeah. the staple is the stitches. He stitches. Goes, stitches. Stitches, right? Yeah. You'll be able to pass for normal. You'll be totally fine. Like, it's all this stuff. So then he goes, we're going to go back to England. Well, wa- the, the bit I like in that when because when uh, he's admiring his face. Yes. And then he stops so that professor the professor can show Dr. Carlton his handiwork. And I like, again, another well-delivered line by Bisley says, let me give him back his new favorite toy. And it's the mirror. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, again, he's not developmentally. He's not a teenager anymore. So he's fascinated by the fact that he has a face now yeah. and that he's this handsome, hulking, strapping young man. Yeah. And it's like, again, I, you really feel for him. Yes, he's killed a couple of people, but he's killed a couple of people because of either not you know, lashing out and not understanding or at the behest of a literal psychopath. So you, you, it's, it's, it's a little thing like that, but that he now is very vain and in love with his face. Yeah. So um, that's when Dr. Uh, Frankenstein tells Dr. Carlton his plan to go back to England. And Carlton brings up all these, like, how are you going to get him through? There's customs and this. And he goes, look, see all these boxes here? Yeah. Yep. They have false bottoms. Good thing, though, because, you know, it's very important you have false bottoms in all your boxes. Um, and I'm going to cut this guy up into pieces and I'll put him back together in England. Yeah. Because that's not going to seem weird at all. <laughs> well, but you know what? You know what this reminded me of? You know, sometimes like you buy 
a mint on card or mint in box figure. Yes. And you contact the guy. He's like, hey, look, I'm going to open this anyway. Do you mind breaking it down to ship? Yeah. You know, can we maybe get it into a smaller package that way? That's all he's doing. He's just breaking it down for shipping. Yeah, but that guy I mean, then. If, that, if, if, if anything, that's the most logical thing he does. Yeah, but then, but then that guy's like, you know what? Since it's not mint on card, I don't really want to pay you mint on card prices. And I'm okay. like, I'm, I'm not. And yeah, then, I'm not, and then, not, not, not starting that. Yeah, for sure. And then, then well, the answer is you back. opened it. It's yeah. like it's. I don't. Well, I, I never. I'll never much. open it. I never open it until literally it's ready to ship. I never open it until I have all the money. And there's no yeah. way we're backing out of this deal. Sorry. Right. The, so. the, 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 not, I don't want to tangent too much, but you want to drive a Transformers. Uh, Transformers fans <laughs> do this a lot on eBay. Well, has it ever been transformed? Yeah. It's like, yes. Well, I'm not sure that it's in mint condition if it's been transformed <laughs> back and forth. It has your oil from your fingers on it now. It's like, okay, dude. Thank, thanks for bidding. Yeah. <laughs> we're good. We're good. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Back to the that that that's that's a whole nother story for a whole nother podcast. Uh, join us later for Transformer Cast. Uh, transforming Transformers. Uh, <laughs> We're gonna do a video where I'm just like transforming it back and forth and then putting it on eBay. <laughs> oh, the YouTube hits will be through the roof. We'll TikTok. What is what, is, what, is, what is Brian Myers say with your poo poo and chocolate all over your face? Yeah, yeah. your doo doo chocolate hands. You do do chocolate and, and what did you postal peanut us? You know, kind of thing with all the peanuts. The worst part is I use packing peanuts sometimes around yeah. like when everything's all wrapped. I'll put mm-hmm. peanuts in to kind of just you know on the bottoms especially. It's, so it's for filler. Yeah, it's to fill in those like because they fill in gaps and I shake it, let it fill in the gaps and go from there. Yeah. Um, plastic bags work too, but that's another story. Um, anyway, where were we? So his creation go ship them back from various boxes to England and return there to put them back together. When they strap the monster down, he becomes suspicious and tears loose. Now, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. In Teenage Werewolf, they go to strap him down, quote unquote, to observe him turning into a werewolf. They don't do a very good job. They didn't learn anything in five months. because They don't do a very good job here either. He breaks out of this pretty easily. <laughs> and yeah. now yeah. we have Angry Monster. So... Um, mm-hmm. where is it? He throws he throws uh, Frankenstein into the alligator pit while Doctor Carlton runs for help. Now you know Doctor Carlton's gonna go get the cops. He's like, I'm gonna go get him. You gotta, you gotta go get the yeah. cops, right? So he's out the door. When Carlton arrives at the police, the monster, maddened with fright, backs into an electrical dial board. Now I have seen this happen. I've seen this movie several times, obviously, kind of thing. Um, I know Gary Conway's trying to find where he's got to back into because they only probably shot it once. But he looks behind him and backs up right into it. Like, yeah. I'm not trying to be a jerk, it, but it's like, okay. It, you know, it it does beg the question, though. Is, he, is the, is he trying to kill himself? Yeah. Because that's how, when I was younger, when I saw this, the first time I saw this movie, I was probably, what, maybe 11, 12 years old. And I never gave it, you know, never really thought that. It's like, oh, well, he they, they the police scare him and he backs up and he gets electrocuted. I do wonder now, watching it as an adult, is he does he realize that he can't have any semblance of a normal life because of what's been done to him, and does he choose to end it all himself? Yeah. It it certainly does in one sense. You can read it that way. You can read it the other way, and I think they're both valid. And I think that him kind of, like I said, trying to hit his mark because obviously there's a bunch of sparks and stuff that are going to fly out of this gimmick wall. It it it, it does give a certain ambiguity. Mm-hmm. ambiguity i should say to it mm-hmm. which i i do like that 
Yeah. Intentional or otherwise, I think it works. So uh, contact with his iron uh, wristbands electrocutes him and turns the whole world to color. Um, and he, yes. he is electrocuted and falls to the ground dead, which I think the color pop there, um, which you would later see AIP do in War of the Colossal Beast, right? Yes. Yep. And the War of the Colossal yeah, Beast. So. Yeah, yeah. That's where he's got he's got the half skull face. He grabs the, the wires yeah. and he disappears, which doesn't make any sense. That's, that's War of the Colossal Beast. Um, Carlton tells the police he'll never forget the way the monster's face looked after the accident. Um, you know, the no, no, uh, no philosophical, we shouldn't, you know, tread in God's domain or anything like that, like we have the end of Werewolf. But right. the color pop there is very shocking. People remember that. And then, of course, we have the scene where so he's now dead. And then they go back to being the monster. You know, kind of thing. Like they show the yeah, monster well they, they, in it, color. They which showed is cool. in color, which is yeah. which is extremely useful for yes, paint and color game. reference when you're doing a model kit. It's the only time you get to see it. So yeah, um, yeah. And then we get an extra shot of uh, the professor being chewed up by the alligator. Yes, yeah, so I was gonna say yeah. Never the one, the one truly innocent character in all of this. Yeah, the alligator. <laughs> yeah, it's the only likable character in the whole time. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but you know. Um, so as much as Teenage Werewolf is, I don't want to say beloved, but it is. It's it's looked back on with, I think people look back on it like, and remember it more fondly. This movie kind of has a reputation of being more campy. Um, I don't think that it deserves yeah. that. I think it's just because it was second, you know, and it yeah, didn't, it it didn't make too many dollars. And it though. is, it, yeah, and it, did, it didn't make as much money. That is certainly part of it. I think also... The you know it it is not quite as it's not as good as Teenage Werewolf. I have a lot of affection for this movie, as I think has become clear yeah. through the uh, through this podcast. But looking at it from a objective standpoint, it's not as good as Teenage Werewolf, and that's okay. Yeah. Movies don't have to be better than something <laughs> else to be to be worthwhile and worth talking about. But I think it it also is the it's the old teen it's the old Frankenstein naming thing, right? The, the Frankenstein in this is a middle-aged man. Yeah. He's not a teenaged Frankenstein. There's no way I could buy a story, because I've thought about that over the years. It's like, could you remake I Was a Teenage Frankenstein and have it be a teenager who is a, a, a scientist? It's like, other than, like, some kind of, like, wunderkind, you know, like, genius-level savant. Doogie Howser. Sure you could... Was that Doogie Hauser? Yeah, a Doogie Hauser type. Yes, <laughs> yeah. he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna bring the dead back to life and then do some up close magic, you know. Yeah. But uh, I don't know that you can really <laughs> do that. So it's like the title is is, is yeah. doesn't quite fit. But again, from the actual story for a B picture that unspools at seventy two, seventy three minutes, I like this movie. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, it's, it's like it's like the uncut yeah. version of uh, Modern Prometheus, where as he as he floated away, I heard him exclaim. It's okay if they call me Frankenstein and not Frankenstein's monster. I'm cool with it. No. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that's a old. Yeah, meme. the publisher cut that. It was very. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about like you know women's roles and stuff. Mary Shelley was yeah. angry for many years, but there was nothing he could do back then. You know, so. <laughs> uh, so real quick, um, those of you who want to see this, we've talked about the fact that you pretty much have to go on to. You can go on eBay and buy a bootleg copy of it. Uh, back in the day at conventions, they used to have bootlegs of this. That's where Dad and I got our copies. Um, and that's and then, where I got mine from as well. And then Dad eventually bought new bootleg copies off of uh, eBay um, that were a tad more expensive than what we paid back in the day. 
Um, yeah. But they're much, much cleaner versions. So I think the one Dad got of Teenage Frankenstein might have the uncut scene in it because it's supposedly yes. the completely uncut. We'll see. I don't know for sure. But what I do know is the reason why we can't see it is because um, Susan Hart, who was the uh, uh, she's the widow of uh, uh, AIP co-founder James Nicholson. Um, she has the rights to 11 movies that AIP made. The movie she has the rights to. I know if you listen to Werewolf, you've heard these already, but I'll say them again. Um, it conquered the world in 56 and the 1966 remake of it called Zontar, the thing from Venus. Invasion of the Saucermen mm-hmm. from 57 with those giant heads and its remake, yep. 1965's The Eye Creatures. I was Teenage Werewolf. I was Teenage Frankenstein. The Amazing Colossal Man. Uh, Terror from the Year 5000. Apache Women. The Oklahoma Women, Woman. excuse me, And Naked Paradise. Now, I've never seen, uh, still haven't seen, Apache Woman, Oklahoma Woman, and Naked Paradise. Uh, but obviously those would be more in the Western end of things instead of the yeah, horror. Those are, those are all Western pictures. Westerns. Yeah. Uh, Terror from the Year 5000. I I seem to remember that being in some set somewhere. I can't remember exactly what set it was in. Um, I know it was whatever when, whenever it was released. I think it was part of a, a, an Arkoff, um, like AIP retrospective thing. Um, I know it was very quickly put into it was in there and then it's taken away so it's, it's not available anymore i can tell you that um and then let's talk about the main right. three which is i was teenage frankenstein i was teenage werewolf and amazing colossal man um obviously uh um teenage werewolf we know was on misty um which a lot of people asked where they first saw yep. it and it's not available anywhere uh for that reason the amazing colossal man yep. it was also on misty and it's not available anywhere now it used to be on a tape that's worth a small fortune. Um, but that's where most people have probably seen Werewolf and the Colossal Man. Frankenstein did not get a yep. rift, did not get rift. Um, no. Um, so. No, I will say this. Also, uh, It Conquered the World was was also featured in season three. Yes. Has not never been released. Terror from the Year 5000 or is in season eight yep. and has, has never been released. So, <clears throat> you know, they, they did cover a few of these. That now are unfortunately oh an attack of the eye creatures or yeah. attack of the vi creatures yeah. was also uh, was v. also done in season four yeah and was and thus cannot be cannot be released now and it's it's unfortunate I mean I get it I understand that you know she owns the rights and she's going to license them out when she feels like it but it's it's such a strange thing because it seems to me like you know uh, you know shout factory would do a box. Mm-hmm of Teenage Frankenstein and Teenage Werewolf and put them in, in a, a, a beautiful Blu-ray double feature. Yep. And wouldn't, wouldn't you be making more money doing that? I guess. I, I don't know. You know, it's, you never know what people's motivations are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, dad and I, we talked about it on, on, on Werewolf and, you know, we can, you know, again, like I said to dad, then like all the speculation we can come up with, it's not going to help, you know, it ever get released. Um, the only thing is that she's still alive. Uh, so, um, it might very well be a case where, I mean, she's 80, she's 80 years old. Um, and not that I'm wishing her to pass away, no. but I'm saying, but once, maybe once the estate passes on to, you know, children or grandchildren or whatever, they might say, you know what, let's make some money off these things. And yeah, that's what happens. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah. and, and that's not to be morbid. That's just the truth. No, that's what happens a lot of that's, times. Well, that's, but that's, and no, it's not being morbid. It's just saying the situation will have to change based on what it currently is. I mean, um, relating it back to uh, Mystery Science Theater 2000, the, it was believed that the Gamera films would never be, those episodes would never, ever be released. Yeah. And there was long believed that that was due to Sandy Frank. It's now more of the understood that that was Daid would not grant the license because they were not happy with them the the riffs, uh, and that the um, it was when ownership uh, at at what is now uh, what is what Daid is now, which is Koda Kodakawa, I think is, is think is I'm not sure exactly the name of that, that their relationship changed with their international distributor who didn't have those concerns and thus were able to grant the license. Yeah. So it's, it's not, again, it's not being morbid. She's allowed to do the, with the rights to the films to whatever she wants, but the situation is unlikely to change unless of course that situation yeah. changes. I yeah, think the that'd be a fair has, way to put the it. The ownership has to change. Right. Who, who owns it, it has to change. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, cause that, you know, again, those things do happen. Now, if you're like me and you like VHS, I was a teenage Frankenstein was put out on VHS yes. by RCA Columbia. That was their drive-in classics yep. um, series. And I think teenage werewolf and it conquered the world were also yep. released under those. So um, I, uh, as, as we are recording this, got my eye on something for picking those up. I do uh, have, like I said, I, I have it on uh, uh, the bootleg uh, DVD. I definitely want this one to go with my VHS horror collection. So I will be, I'll be I'm looking into that. Uh, so uh, keep your eyes on on the Facebook page for this for this episode. You might see something for that. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And it is out there on YouTube. I also found it on a streaming service called Fossum. F, you know, F awesome. Fossum. Yeah. Which is a free ad supported service. I had never heard of this service. Uh, I installed it on the Fire Stick. Uh, thank you for that, by the way. And the uh, the fires, it it worked fine. It did stream it. It was the edited version. Uh, I ended up not using it because it had a ton of ads. It was like four minutes of ads, like every seven minutes a movie. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm good. Yeah, yeah. But it is, but it is out there. So yeah. I don't, again, I don't know if that's if Flossum seems legit. I mean, it is on the Amazon store, so I don't know, but I don't know if they're like, hey, you know, this is on YouTube, so we got it up here, or what, so just yeah. putting it out there for information. I make no endorsement. Yeah, I've never heard of them, but it's fine. I mean, the thing yeah. is this, is that, however... Just if you want to put it yeah. on the big screen and you don't have yeah. YouTube on your Fire Stick already, which you probably should, since it's free. Yeah, especially you since I think, I think it's pre-installed. Uh, yeah. So, you know, kind of thing. Um, but anyway, it doesn't matter. The whole point is that if you want to see it, there's yeah. ways to go get it, um, it's just you're not going to get a nice, real nice Blu-ray release of this as of right now. Um, and, of yes. course, folks, you know, I mean, again, things change. And if it does change, I'll be the first one to be out here. Hey, guess what? I would, I'm, I'm buying it. You know, this werewolf. Right. I mean, everyone on that list, except for the three um, the three uh, Westerns, Western. are all movies I would buy if they ever came to. It's like, especially if, if, if uh, Shout Factory got it, they would put yeah. the like they would put Zontar with. Uh, it conquered the world. They would like, they would put them together as two packs because they did that. They did a ton of two packs, and they did you know right. Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror, which is like the greatest one they ever did. Um, but it's it's again like I said it's it's whatever the we can speculate all we want. The issue becomes um, as of right now uh, we don't have access to it in the form in in that that cleaned up form. But you right. know again like still available and well worth your time if you've never checked it out. So if you've never mm -hmm. looked at it. First of all, I don't know why you listened to the episode first, uh, but then, uh, you know, go check it out. It's well worth your time watching. Again, 72 minutes. You've done 
way dumber stuff for 72 minutes than yeah, you know than right. this. So still fun. Um, the other thing is uh, that this now leads to uh, you know as I can, I've mentioned before the th- the third movie in this uh, this unofficial like trilogy is How to Make a Monster, which did get a release. Um, I want to say it was late. It was either early 2021 or late 2020. I think it was 2021, um, which Dad and I will talk about in the new year. And that's the unofficial sequel to both of these, even though right. these movies technically have nothing to do with each other. So and and Whip Bissell does not appear in that one. Yeah. Although that's that's probably where the uh, you know the it would be something else if Whip Bissell was the makeup artist in that one because um, it would have tied it together well. But be it as right. it may. Um, so, folks, you know, what do you think of this? Uh, you know, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you know, send us, some, send us a note. What do you think about Teenage Frankenstein? Have you never seen it? Is this one of the ones that you saw uh, maybe back in the VHS days? I mean, uh, you know, are you, as I, as I said when we did Werewolf, did you see this at the drive-in? Right? My dad remembers seeing Werewolf and Frankenstein, obviously, um, as part of, like, years after they came out, as part of, like, the four movies you would see four movies and cartoons at the, th- the right. theater, right? They were they were second run kind of thing, and that's where he remembers seeing it, you know, kind of thing. And he's like, I remember seeing this these things movies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're old enough to have remember seeing it there, we'd love to hear from you about that. Um, but you know, did you did you see this and say, oh my gosh, this has a lot? This like I can see the connections you're making between this and the Hammer Frankenstein's. Maybe you think we're full of Balarky, whatever kind of thing. We'd love to hear from you. So. Um, I want to thank Luke for coming on today uh, to talk about. I knew I, I knew when, I, when I did Werewolf with Dad, I knew I had to do Frankenstein with Luke because this is one of his favorites. Um, as he said, he did build the the figure model kit of this. Um, yep. Dad has his own, which I didn't paint. I don't know who he got that from because I never painted that one. I did the touch ups on it when because it got arrived chipped, but I did that. But you definitely painted it. I have painted the. You have, I think you have one on your shelf of a, a bust I did about. One four one quarter scale bust, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That was from Todd Colloran. Uh, he sculpted it, and then I did the big head of it. And Dad has that, and that's I did that so long ago. Haley was a little, Haley was maybe like two or three, and there's um, she had helped, so she had helped paint the mole the mole people when she was little. But she sponged on colors for me because I needed to break up the pattern. And then I'm like, oh, good job. And then I painted the rest of the thing. Right over her color sponging some of this i said hey you want to help me with this and i think there's some of the sponging on the face you can see it's a little heavy-handed at times because she just kind of mashed her hand in there but she did some of the the veining for me the deep the deep bruise veining and then i did all the stuff over the top and re, you know retouched and whatever um but i did this for dad and what i on the um the casting of it on the big head it has a sculpted uh bandage around his neck and I actually took real gauze and worked real gauze in around it and stuff to make it kind of give it a more realistic effect. And then, you know, right. whatever. So, um, but, uh, you know, be that made, there's other, those, there, those are out there. I don't think I've ever seen any other, I mean, I've seen people make bootleg, you know, megos of them and figures and whatever kind of thing. But otherwise than that, uh, that would be how, if you want to get a, a, a teenage Frankenstein, you need to kind of look in, uh, at what's available. If you're interested, you know, and you're interested in like the, finding a bus of these things or whatever. Um, I might have a line on certain things, but I definitely don't have a line on all of them all the time. I'm trying to think if I have, I might have the vinyl. Do I have the vinyl one? I don't remember. I have to, I have to look. I, 
I thought I had the vinyl version of this. I don't know if I do. I definitely have War of the Colossal Beast. But be that as it may, um, Luke, why don't you tell people where they can uh, find you on the Internet? Uh, right. So uh, if you've enjoyed my guest spot here, I, uh, I appreciate it. You can find me on my normal podcast, and I say normal as in regular. It's certainly not normal, not with the subject matter, which is Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast which is dedicated to Japanese giant monsters, history, culture, and all of that good stuff. Anywhere you find bots, bugs, and babes, you can find Earth Destruction Directive. Uh, I also am the co-host, along with my brother and the hair metal hero Chris Tyler and Two True Freaks OG Chris Honeywell, on the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror, also part of the Two True Freaks Network. Again, anywhere that you find uh, this show, you can find that show. And I am also one of the hosts on Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there is a podcast on the Internet about professional wrestling, and uh, that is, as I said, co-hosted with my brother, Jay and the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler. And uh, so, again, anywhere you find this show, you can find those shows. So if they sound interesting, please check them out. Yep. And I uh, just want to make sure I mention, folks, just like this show, uh, Earth Destruction Directive is an all-ages show, so it's appropriate for uh, the kids. And a reminder that Get Back to the Wrestling and The Vault are not all-ages shows, so they are not always very appropriate for younger listeners. Uh, so, um, like I said, I was, I'm thankful that Luke came on to do this movie um, you know, hopefully everyone enjoyed our September episode, which was Cabin in the Woods, uh, where Dad and I covered that for its te- that's 10 years old. If you can't remember, think, grab that around your mind, right around mind around that. Um, and so we always say, what's next? So this is the October uh, regular episode. Um, so for Halloween, because we definitely have a Halloween episode. We always do a Halloween episode in the show. Uh, we're going to do garfield's halloween adventure and i am going to bring luke back to do that one with me because that is one of his favorite halloween episodes uh so we're going to do that one at the end of the month uh so uh folks like we said um if any feedback you want to send us i'd love to hear from you uh if it's feedback for episode luke and i do together i'll gladly share it with him um and then we'll get back to you and of course we read all that stuff on the air so like we say around here folks keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi, folks. Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality.
This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Jacanetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Will you stop?